Welcome to Safe Dividend Investing. My name is Ian Duncan McDonald. I'm author of Income and Wealth from Self-Directed Investing, which is available as both an e-book and as a print book from Amazon.com. Tonight, for a change of pace, today's podcast is going to be something different. Before I wrote investment books, I wrote novels. They are also available at Amazon.com. They were usually about something that disturbed me. One such topic was the drought in the southwest United States. I wrote a novel called Using Drought USA. That problem in the southwest U.S. has not gone away. If anything, it has got worse. So today, I'd like to read chapter one called El Centro from that novel. What I'm curious to learn is should I set up a separate podcast for my novels? If you'd like to hear my novels in a podcast, send me an email at ian, I-A-N, dot McDonald, M-A-C-D-O-N-A-L-D, at informus.ca. Informus is I-N-F-O-R-M-U-S dot C-A. Chapter 1, El Centro. Clarence, Clarence, wake up, wake up, Clarence. There's a car coming down the driveway. Curse with acute hearing, Sylvia shook her husband awake. He had been enjoying a very pleasant dream. It involved a woman, not his wife. As Clarence Carlyle emerged to full consciousness, he realized he could not remember all the details of that dream, but he knew it had been pleasant. Fresh air was important to Sylvia. She insisted that Clarence leave bedroom windows open every night. While sound carries in the stillness of the night, years of working around farm machinery had not benefited Calvin's hearing. But now he heard the crunch of wheels rolling over the rough gravel. A vehicle was approaching the farmhouse. It came to a stop just below their open window with the engine gently idling. He heard a car door click, shut, and a murmur of two men talking. The farmhouse was a quarter of a mile from the country road. The peaceful chirping of crickets is about as loud as it gets on a January night in California's Imperial Valley. What the hell? Clarence grunted. He sat up in bed and swung his feet to the floor. He yanked open the drawer of his night table. Frantically, he felt in for his father's old Smith & Wesson snub-nosed revolver. He plowed aside a small flashlight, a box of cough drops, two pens, several old birthday cards, some agriculture of America pamphlets, a long-forgotten box of prophylactics, and several National Geographic maps of distant lands that he would never visit. He extracted a loaded revolver. In his excitement, he had sent his glasses flying off the night table. It took him a few seconds to find them. With glasses resting firmly on his nose, 
He stumbled across the creaking floorboards to the window, pulling aside the cheap, dark green roll-up blind. He stuck his head out of the window. The dawn was still only a hope. All he could see were two vague shapes standing in the front yard beside his three-year-old Ford F-150 pickup truck. The two warning shots he impossibly fired into the quiet night air flashed and crackled like lightning bolts on a hot summer's day just before the start of a violent storm. The figures next to the truck hit the ground. One of them shouted out, Repo man! Repo man! Hold your fire, Mr. Carlyle! I'm here to seize the truck on behalf of the Imperial Valley Bank. We, 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 we sent you a letter! There were several long, tense seconds before a mournful Clarence quietly responded, Sorry, I thought you were stealing my truck. A beaten man, Clarence returned to the bed and sat on the edge. Next, he heard the roar of his truck starting and then the sound of wheels as the two vehicles rolled down the long gravel driveway. He placed the revolver back into the drawer of the night table. Crawling into bed, he lay on his back and stared at the ceiling. Arms by his side, wide awake, overwhelmed, a sob escaped him. His wife curled around him and held him, like she used to hold her children when they were small, had woken, screaming from a nightmare. Her expression of love for her man released all the sadness and frustration Clarence had repressed for years. Tears silently rolled down his cheeks. Then he sobbed like the broken man he was. Great, grasping sobs that violently shook his body as he expressed his frustration and fear. Between gasps, he shared his misery with his wife. Oh, Sylvia, what will become of us? We've held on here, year after year, hoping this damned drought would break, hoping we would get enough of a water allowance from the canal to save the crop. God knows we have tried. We switched crops. We installed drip technology irrigation. Every year, we sold off more equipment. Every year, we sold acreage and hoped the good years would return. We mortgaged the house. We borrowed. Now we've reached the end of the road. The tears ceased. He lay quiet for several minutes. Then in a whisper of resignation that his wife could barely hear, he choked out. There's nothing left to sell. They've seized my truck. In a couple of days, they will kick us out of the house. My great-grandfather built this house. My grandfather and my father built this farm up to 1,200 acres, and now we're going to lose it all. Sylvia held Clarence tight. That was all she could offer. She had no magic solution. She knew that some throughout the Southwest, thousands of proud farmers like Clarence were being ground down by the lack of water. Every day before the drought, illegal Mexican farm workers used to trudge up 
Clarence's long driveway looking for work. They now passed the Imperial Valley. Unemployment in the valley was over 50%. Sylvia had read that it was the highest unemployment rate in the United States. Thousands of acres of prime land lay idle. Anxious farmers waited for the drought to come to an end. While they waited, the Imperial Valley Growers Association quibbled with the cities of San Diego, Phoenix, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles over water rights. The farmers objected to the water limits restricting what they could draw from the Colorado River. The citizens in the urban areas objected to not being able to water their lawn. The All-American Canal had delivered water to the Imperial Valley for a hundred years. That canal was responsible for turning the valley from a parched desert into America's winter salad bowl. Before the drought, every day, hundreds of trucks headed north with broccoli, iceberg lettuce, bell peppers, tomatoes, corn, cantaloupe, fruits, and nuts. A canal system fed by the Colorado River delivered water to the valley. Barely a trickle now dribbled through the canal. This had forced the farmers to drill wells hundreds of feet deep. Those wells had now run dry. The northern states used to receive 60% of their winter vegetables from the Imperial Valley. The farmers had prospered from growing the vegetables, as did those companies who supplied the farmers with everything from seed to tractor tires. Now, with thousands of abandoned acres, the Imperial Valley economy was losing billions of dollars every year. The valley no longer looked prosperous. They wondered if the drought would ever end. At the wheel of Clarence's red pickup, Terry White, the repo man, followed the billow of thick dust behind his assistant's Jeep Cherokee. They sped along the driveway to the paved country road. Both turned right when they reached it and headed for El Centro. Its streetlights, 20 miles away, lit up the night sky. The Imperial Valley was spread over 4,000 square miles. In the good times, the valley looked like a flat, green pool table. Over the centuries, its rich soil had been carried for hundreds of miles by the Colorado River before being deposited on this ancient floodplain. El Centro, the city of 30,000, was the country seat and the largest city on the American side of the valley. Mexicali, a city of almost a million people, was 15 miles south of El Centro, on the Mexican side of the border. Terry well knew that his chosen profession had drawbacks. Debtors who shot first and asked questions later killed a few repo men every year. A good repo man had to become skilled at first finding the vehicle, then hauling it away before the debtor noticed it was gone. After years of practice and with his modified tow truck, Terry bragged that he could seize a vehicle and be on his way in less than five minutes. He could be in and out in under a minute, but a car dealership supplied him with a master key. This gave him 
immediate access to a vehicle like he had had with the Carlisle truck. He had been seizing two or three vehicles every night. Tonight's confrontation made him wonder if maybe he was getting too old for this game. $300 for picking up some poor farmer's truck was not worth risking your life. Was it time for him to consider either raising his rates or finding a less dangerous profession? It was 1.30 in the morning. He was tired. He wanted to get to bed, but first he had to get Carlisle's truck into his new holding compound on the outskirts of El Central. The increase in repossessions had required him to build the second compound. He looked at the brightly lit clock on the dashboard and realized he'd be lucky to get to bed before 2.30. The alarm clock was going to go off at 7 o'clock whether he liked it or not. With only four and a half hours sleep, Terry White was tired and cranky when he parked his Cadillac in the crowded parking lot of the Yellow Bird Cafe. It was on the corner of El Centro's West Main Street and South 9th Street across from the Imperial County Courthouse. The courthouse was a very impressive white stone building with soaring Roman columns guarding the entrance. Its withered hedges and brown lanes were stark testimony to the drought conditions. The palm trees framing the entrance gave it a desert stateliness. Clerks, lawyers, policemen, bureaucrats and politicians ate breakfast at the Yellowbird Cafe. They came to eat and they kept up on the latest gossip. The burritos, French toast, biscuits and gravy were popular. What kept them coming back were the giant portions, the home cooking and the friendly banter. At this hour, the restaurant was the busiest place in town. Terry searched the dining room for an empty seat. The county sheriff saw him and waved him over to a booth where he had set up camp. Two middle-aged men in expensive, well-pressed suits were sitting with him. One looked familiar, but Terry couldn't place him. Terry, how the hell have you been? I haven't seen you in a coon's age. The sheriff's round face exploded in a big smile, framed by his bushy white mustache. He was well over six feet tall and at least 300 pounds. Terry had once upon a time been one of his many deputies. He sometimes wondered why he had left the regimented environment of the Imperial Valley Sheriff's Department to start his often chaotic repo business. He had fond memories of his last years as a deputy, patrolling the Colorado River in the Sheriff Department's powerboat. It had been a great job. The camaraderie, being part of a team, and the daily routines were what he missed most. It had been hard to walk away from it. The money had not been bad, but after his divorce, he wanted to change. Now, he had tripled the income, but was so busy that he did not have time to enjoy it. Terry, have you met our assemblyman for the 56th district? No, I don't believe I have had that pleasure. Terry, meet Willie Perez, a good man to know, especially in your business. Terry shook hands across the table with Perez. In his late 40s, Perez was a medium build, tan, 
with one of those phony smiles which display so many brilliant white perfect teeth that Terry wondered if they were real. He sensed that a phony smile like that comes with practice in front of a mirror. Willie Perez had expressionless dead eyes, like a shark. They did not match his smile. Not one hair was out of place. Nor did he have one gray hair. Terry wondered if Perez ever let his guard down or relaxed. Was it being aware the constituents looked for faults and weaknesses that had stolen Perez's personality? And this fine fellow is Carlos Aldea, his chief of staff and communication director. Like two dogs hunting and meeting for the first time, Terry and Carlos sized each other up. Each wondered which one was the alpha male. Carlos saw everyone as either a potential contributor or a potential threat. He wondered how much money he could shake out of Terry for Willie's campaign war chess. Terry counted his fingers after the chicans to make sure they were all there. He next checked to make sure his wallet was still in his suit pocket. In his booming, I am in charge here voice, the sheriff filled in the politicians and Terry. The best damn deputy I ever had. He left to start up his own repossession business and is doing gangbusters. He paused for a second. Dramatic effect before continuing. Terry, what's this I hear about you getting shot last night out at the Carlisle fire? He then laughed as if it was the funniest thing he'd heard in the last year. Terry smiled. He wished his private business affairs could stay private but recognize that it's part of the price you pay for living in a small city full of busybodies. His assistant must have been running off his mouth. This breach of his privacy made him just ornery enough to give the politicians a few zingers. If he had not been feeling so tired, he might have resisted the temptation. All I know is once we identified ourselves, we never heard another peep out of Calvin Carlisle. I'm sorry for those farmers. There is a myth out there that these Imperial Valley farms are all owned by big anonymous corporations. Not true. Most of them are family farms, just like Calvin's. His family has farmed it for generations. They are losing everything. I don't see the government doing one damn thing for help them with this water crisis. He looked to see what reaction he was getting before he continued. Yeah, I know you're thinking that I'm making a lot of money out of their misery, but I wish I wasn't. And the farmers aren't the only ones suffering. It's also the tire dealers who can't sell the farmers new tires and the farm supply people who can't sell them tractors. Even the school teachers are suffering. Schools are closing. Families are abandoning the valley. No school means no teachers. Even the doctors are leaving. Just when all this damn dust in the air is making everybody sick. Terry stopped and stared at the California assembly member who flinched. He gave Terry a laser stare that he wished could turn Terry into a cinder. The assemblyman did not appreciate being put on the defensive. 
especially before 8 o'clock in the morning. His mouthpiece jumped to his defense. This week, Willie is chairman of a water conference. The governors of California, Nevada, Colorado, and Arizona are attending, along with several key presidential advisors and senators. Terry snorted with derision and said, Another conference that will go nowhere. Maybe I shouldn't say it, but next year is an election year. The president will not have much stock carrying the Southwest unless he comes up with some solution. Without those states, we'll have a hard time getting reelected. Several of the politicians at your conference are also up for re-election. A quarter of the country's voters are in the Southwest. Carlos Idea tried to put this know-it-all in his place. And what brilliant solution for the water problem would you recommend? Without hesitation, Terry took his bait. Well, when I look at a map of the United States, I see the largest reservoir of fresh water in the entire world, the Great Lakes, sitting up there on the northern border of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. A canal from the Great Lakes to the Colorado River would sure solve our southwest water problems. Carlos rolled his eyes and replied with disdain, Yeah, a Great Lakes canal. It comes up every time we have a drought. It's just too expensive. Terry responded, From what I've read, our water problem is costing us at least $30 billion every single year. The billions a canal would cost would pay for itself in a few years. At that moment, the waitress came to take Terry's breakfast order. The assembly member and his aide saw this diversion as a good opportunity to escape this public discussion about the drought. People in adjoining tables had been listening into the exchange. Perez intended to avoid discussing the water problem as much as they could before the next election. After they left, the sheriff gave Terry a big smile and said, You scared those boys away. They are the same, full of talk and no action. The Southwest is dying, sitting around fiddling while Rome burns. I want to see a solution. The sheriff was puzzled and replied, who is this fellow Nero? Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website, www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com.